Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. It's Mary Payne from Pink Shade. I know you like Law & Order, but do you also like reality TV? Over on Pink Shade, I'm talking about your favorite shows. That's all the 90-day spinoffs to Love After Lockup to Bravo and everything in between. I'm talking Plathville and Chantel and everything and even some Netflix documentaries. So if reality TV is your jam, come listen to us talk and talk and talk over on Pink Shade wherever you find your podcast. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Miranda Oakleberry from Mercer Island, Washington. Miranda will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoy and Melody Carlisle. And these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedurals, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are the Stories, the podcast about network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspire their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at SVU Season 24, Episode 18, Bubble Wrap. Dude had his head on mommy's boobs. Sure what it looked like. Could explain his issues. What, are you working for the defense now? Joining me to do just that is true crime author and host of Crime Writers On and Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcasts. It's Rebecca Lavoy. Hello, Rebecca. Thanks for giving me the freedom to be here today, Kevin. Appreciate it. <laughs> You're welcome. Rounding out our panel is our special guest from the Heaving Bosoms podcast. Mm. It's Melody Carlisle. Hi, Melody. Hello. And you're right. You you did not read that incorrectly. The podcast name is Heaving Bosom. <sighs> yes. <laughs> it's about romance novels. It is. And I yeah. got to ask, does a good romance, does it have to be hot and spontaneous or should it simmer over a quarter century of network television? And I'm asking for a fictional detective. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Olivia and uh, Elliot really need to get it together. Um, and the answer is a good romance is whatever you think it should be as long as it has a happy ending. Mm. A happy ending is kind of, you know. Yeah. It's not what she means, Kevin. Oh, it's not what she means? No. <laughs> well, also that, you know, just depends on your level of spice. Yes. <laughs> Melanie, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite Law & Order detective team? Favorite Law & Order detective team. Okay. I don't know if this is going to be a hot take or not, but as far as like sheer entertainment is concerned... I'm going to have to go with neurodivergent king Vincent D'Onofrio <laughs> in Bob, what's his name, Bobby? Yes. <laughs> Something like that. Bobby Gorin. And his uh, his partner, that beautiful piece of rye bread, what's her name? 
Anna, Alex, Alex, Alex. Alex Eames, yes. Yeah, that's the one. We let you hang there for a minute. But, uh... <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it's all right. That's, that's, she's a little more obscure, but I do love them. I love Eames. Eames is one of my all-time favorite Law & Order franchise yeah. characters. Yeah. She's the most patient person yes. who's ever lived on the planet. Patience of Job. No, patients yeah. of yeah. like an elementary school occupational <laughs> therapist. <laughs> so, I mean, it's lovely. I love their dynamic because she's just like, I know the answer, but I'm going to let you mansplain to me. And that's because this is your process. <laughs> I, he, She accepts him for who he is. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And who's your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. Oh, boy. All right. I've been thinking about this and I don't even know if this is going to be the correct format for the answer. But I love a um, redheaded Casey mm-hmm. and her mentor, Elizabeth, whatever Donnelly, her name yeah. was, Connolly. Yeah, I don't know if they were actually like DA, district uh, or ADA, but I just love their mentor relationship. Yeah. And the fact that Elizabeth becomes a judge. Yes, that was Judith Light, a really, right? Yeah. A really snarky judge. I dig that about her. And I will give you bonus points for identifying redheaded Casey yes. Novak Thank as you. opposed to the blonde, blondish. The blonde one. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right, now let's take a look at the first half of this episode. Special Victims Unit Season 24, Episode 18, Bubble Wrap. Well, we open on a couples therapy session with an asthmatic young man and an older woman. Martin Parrish says she's too smothering. And Connie Parrish says all she wants to do is play cards before bed. Connie is running high-end real estate business Parrish Enterprises and likes to loudly fuck random building managers in the adjacent office so Martin can hear them. Interior Mm -hmm. designer Mona invites Martin to her place where they drink wine, do some cocaine, snuggle on the couch, and when she refuses his creepy advances, Martin rapes her. Cut to Martin entering Connie's apartment where he confesses his crime to the woman who is not his wife. He's her mom. And this is all before the first dun-dun. Oh, yeah. Benson sends new detectives Grace Muncy and Tony Curlish to get Mona's statement. We were just hanging out. Then he made a move. And how did you respond? I tried to push him away. And what did he do? He got angry, ripped my shirt, bit my breasts hard, then raped me. Martin tells Olivia and Finn that he never raped Mona, and Connie tells them to GTFO. Mona told her roommate about the rape, and when she later recants her accusation against the wealthy suspect, Creasy thinks they might have enough from the outcry witness to make an arrest. Benson goes to Martin's house and finds out he's all about them titties. (laughs) They discover him in bed with his mom sucking on a boob. (laughs) After he's arraigned for rape, Olivia accuses Connie of paying Mona to change her statement, and she reminds Benson that she's done some shady things to protect her own son. But after Muncie and Churlish convince Mona to appear before the grand jury, she turns up dead from an apparent overdose. All right, well, it's a great twist because we are led to believe that this married couple trying to work out their relationship, that they're actually married, uh, it's because Uh Martin says he wants more freedom and Connie just wants him to play canasta, Mm. as in, can I ask you to stuck on my boobies again? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Do you want some of this good, good milk? Yikes, everyone. My life is an unending Mobius strip of violent closeness. Are you going to let him talk to me like that? You control everything. Even these sessions. It's called support. 
I am asphyxiated by your support. While gorging yourself on my money. Which actually good SVU writer wrote the line, my life is an unending Mobius strip of violent closeness? Because I am going to use that in our next argument, Kevin, 100%. Holy, holy shit, right? Like, I have that written down, and my husband was headed up the stairs as that line happened, and we both locked eyes, and I was just, like, furiously writing it down. Right before that, he says, um, if if I have so much space, why do I feel like an eel (laughs) flipping around the deck of a boat, gasping for breath? Why would an eel get on a boat? (laughs) (laughs) It's not a flying fish. (laughs) <laughs> Who the fuck is bringing eels yeah. on their boat? I have one more question. Yeah. Please. Given what we learn about Connie, not four seconds later. Sure. How did Martin convince her to go to therapy? That's a good okay. question. Who's, whose uh, idea was that? Theory, <laughs> my theory is that it was her idea to yeah. manipulate him. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Just like all women. What therapist would would, would let this happen? Though? Like what, what? He, didn't, he didn't bring this up and have her do it. Did you did you see that therapist, though? Like every time, like the the level of unprofessionalism was nuts because every time he said something like she will. We she's mad if we don't like go to work together. The therapist just like gives him this really sad puppy eye look like, oh, babe. And it's like, this is not helpful. It's because the therapist knows. There are so many Chekhov's gun moments in the session, too. There's like, yeah, there's like Chekhov's inhaler, Chekhov's Mm -hmm. mints. Like it's like so many things anyway. Layers of dead. I love the opening of this episode so much. Yeah, yeah. The, so therapist, the therapist says, well, why don't you two switch roles? Okay, I'll suck on your tits instead. <laughs> there we go. He's yeah. like, hell How no. How do you like it? <laughs> he just starts unbuttoning his, his shirt. All right, come here. Let's whip it out. <laughs> I'll make the pot roast tonight, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> now, we also think that Martin is a cuck because Connie randomly fucks a guy who's you know, I guess has been like going over the financials. He's a realtor. Yeah. And so they exit by going up this random staircase in the middle of the office. Where did that staircase go? The balcony. Were you not listening? They were going to christen the, the balcony. balcony. Yeah. Stairway to a terrace. It's a fuck terrace. It's fine. <laughs> I, thought, I have yeah. no more questions. It's a slam pad. <laughs> it's 2023. Who has a slam pad in their office? Connie. 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 That's <laughs> new. <laughs> Well, a lot of places I know they put in a nursing room, so mm. maybe it was, yeah, they're like... It's synonymous for her, you know what I mean? Toe. That's right. Dual purpose. Yeah, so then he can pump, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Mona is not only a 23-year-old interior designer for a multi-billion dollar real estate company, uh, she's also down to snuggle on the couch with asthmatic rich guys. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, you yeah, know. Mona... Mona's not super sure about what boundaries to stick to and what boundaries to just roll over, frankly. Yeah. It might be weird at the office. Yeah. Not weird on the couch. Right. There you go. There you go. Again, so many Chekhov's gun no. moments in this scene. They signal poisoning in the first 10 seconds of this episode. And in this scene, mm-hmm. it's like, have some wine, have some cocaine, have an inhaler puff. I'm like, Yep. Poison, 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 poison. What is happening? Absolutely. So yeah. many opportunities. In my notes later, I can't tell like what actually poisoned her. I was just like, did did she force the inhaler down her throat? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but also, uh, he rapes her to the tune of uh, I got you, babe. Mm-hmm. Is that what happened? I thought, I thought, okay, now here's, uh, and I don't know if this makes it better or darker, <laughs> but I thought... 
that they, you know, the rape happens. And then maybe it just like crescendos when he gets home to his mother's Dexter apartment. Yeah. I don't know. But like the the way that it gets louder and louder as he gets home to this apartment that's covered in plastic. Yeah. A la Dexter, the serial killer, and then goes to his mom, who is suddenly in 1950s housewife cosplay. Mm hmm. As she has made a roast, there are candles. And then she's, she just says, I won't let anything happen to you. And she's like petting him. Yeah. It's a, this, this episode Wild. was a ride and I loved it. Well, it's definitely the first big twist, which is revealed. Martin shows up, as you say, at the apartment and he calls her mama. But I, I think we've already established that they're both into some weird stuff. So calling her mama just might be another king. That's what I thought at first, well, too. Did you? Wait, well, like we've gone this far. They got me. They got me. Even though I have watched a million depraved episodes of this fucking show, they actually got me for a moment because, like, the age dynamic thing they've done that a million times before. They you, know have, how, you know how they got me? How'd they get you? The line in the therapy scene where she said, like, you've no problem spending all my money, which is a thing yeah. a rich woman would say to her much younger weenie husband, oh. which we've heard on this show many times. So I right. had it incepted. That yeah. he nice. was her much younger weenie cock husband. And I've heard it, but in real life. Um, <laughs> but Melody, you also point out the fact that like they walk in and there's like plastic everywhere just hanging. Just hanging. It's like they're going to be painting every day. It's a mm-hmm. fake out. You think he's about to get murdered. That's oh, you so think that's what you think? Yes. Didn't you think he, she was, he was about to get murdered when he walked into the thing? I don't know. Okay, listen. So I, I don't know what this says about me personally, but they did not get me for a moment. And this is mm. where I think my the reference to Barbara Daly Bakeland comes in. Because I knew from the beginning, they were mother and son, that this was real, real messed up codependent relationship. Because Barbara Daly Bakeland was a um, an heiress in like the 1960s or something like that. She had a son. The, the father leaves them for a younger lady. And then these two become like incredibly codependent. Turns out the son is gay. And in order to not have that happen anymore she fucks him (laughs) and like it's bad and then and then everybody is surprised when this poor child ends up murdering his mother later Mm, on yeah like that's gonna happen there's a movie about it it's called savage grace and it's with julianne moore that conversion therapy did not work and uh, oh man that other julianne moore and Eddie Redmayne, mm. anyway. I got to tell you, I like that rip from the headlines reference better than the one that I got. Okay. Oh, okay. Anyway, so they leave uh, Mrs. Havisham from Great Expectations. Uh, <laughs> fuck with that oh my place. God. And we're back at SVU. Here we are, season 24. Mm-hmm. Uh, the squad room looks like nothing it did before the pandemic. Right. Apparently, they knocked down that wall where they did all those PowerPoints to let some light in. Yes. And we know that Rollins is gone. Finn is still there. Dick Wolf has been trying out new sets of characters. So we still have uh-huh. Velasco, who nobody would want to talk to about their vaginas <laughs> under any circumstances. Yeah. Uh, Muncie has been the new regular who, like Velasco, came to SVU from the gang unit, Transferable Skills. Oh, interesting. Also cycling in this season are two detectives from the Bronx SVU, Miss Tony Curlish. And- Curlish. Curlish, yeah. Churlish. 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 Oh, Churlish. And like, what is that? What kind of neg is that? All I know, but I'm, I'm just so happy <laughs> because 
I, I, I was like, who the fuck are these two? And then two seconds later, Liv is like, how are Muncie and Churlish doing? I was like, thanks, Liv. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was I really wish you nice. did that at parties, Kevin, where I don't know people. That's like, that was a good, good <laughs> trick. It's like whenever somebody <laughs> walks into the room in a soap opera, they use their name because you just never know. Because you might not have watched it That's for right. three weeks. Yeah. Why, hello, yeah. Robert. Uh, a new actor. Yes. Yeah, new actor. Uh, they also have uh, rotating in Terry Bruno is the name of the uh, the character. He's the rich guy, right? He's the rich guy, right? Like, yeah, I like Bruno because he was an excellent detective and he blew the whistle on his corrupt unit and won a multi-million dollar lawsuit against the city. Is that who that is? Yeah. right. And he so, still okay. wants to work there. Yeah, because it's not there for the money. He's there for the molestation. Yes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, I will say, though, I think it's hard to get a groove and connect with new characters when none of them stick around and the ones who do don't like each other. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Bless them, but they're just they're just standing there like bar soap, yeah. you know. Like Muncie, <laughs> Muncie can't <laughs> emote to save her goddamn life, even when she's getting because they go and they get the um, initial statement from Mona. Yeah, and this was also incredibly weird. I just laid there frozen. It's called fawning. It's okay. It's normal. And then Muncie looks at her and she says. It's called fawning. <laughs> it's normal. <laughs> and then I'm wondering if like, because that's not true, right? It's it's flight, fight or freeze and then fawn as well, right? Yeah. And am I to believe that like these SVU writers are peddling misinformation just so that Mona can say I'm nobody's fawn yes. at the end of the scene? Yes. Like, I don't think it's the payoff's not worth it. It's an elite squad. <laughs> <laughs> they have elite training somehow. It's yeah. like, oh, you were taking down drug dealers in the streets? Have I got a new assignment for you? They're so Boy. elite that they don't realize. Buy a jacket and you'll look nice. <laughs> Mona collected her own evidence and put it in a plastic bag yeah. and that that totally fucking breaks the chain of evidence and it's useless yeah. and they can't use it. <laughs> right. She shows up at the hospital and they're there and next to her bed is a wine glass in mm -hmm. a Ziploc bag. Um, mm -hmm. So I think she's thinking just in case this rape kit isn't enough evidence. It's like, yeah, you've got semen and bite marks, but do you have a lip print from a crate and barrel wine glass? <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, Carisi. <laughs> All right, we have a, hey, it's that guy. Mm -hmm. Hey, it's that guy. Who is playing milk lover Martin Parrish? Mom, I need your help. I heard someone. I don't know his name, but I know where I know him from. Okay, I'll give Does you his count? name. Does that count? No, it doesn't count. Oh, come on, can I say where <laughs> I know him from, please? Savage. All right, that's <laughs> Joseph Cross. Rebecca, where do you know him from? He was the barista Tom in Big Little Lies. Yeah, that's right. <gasps> the, the one that uh, Jane thought was gay, so she took him to the Elvis party where Perry gets thrown yep. down the stairs. It was a thing. Uh-huh, mm -hmm. uh-huh. And then whatever happened to the barista, like that coffee shop just sort of like disappears. Yeah, it was right, a big controversy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they don't need him anymore. That's right. They don't drink coffee. They're just, straight to wine. The reason I remember this is I remember on Twitter, there was like a whole thing, what the fuck happened to Tom? Yeah. <laughs> I would not have remembered his name were it not for that. <laughs> it's like, would you like milk in the coffee? Of course I would. <laughs> Always. Right, right from the tap. Uh, so Joseph Cross's breakout role was as author Augustin Burroughs, the autobiographical movie Running with Scissors. Hmm. Uh, huh. And if he gives you a creepy vibe, it might be because he played real life serial killer Benjamin Barnwright in Mindhunter. Hmm. Does he look like a hobbit? Yeah. 
Yeah, that is the other place I know him from. Uh huh. In the Hobbit world. You think he looks <laughs> yeah. like a Hobbit? He yeah. looks like a discount no, all Hobbit. All his doors around. Yeah. Uh, he also played Tom and Margot's son Casey on As the World Turns. Huh. Even though Gwen mm. wanted to stay a virgin until she was married, she became pregnant by Casey, who denied it because he was in love with Celia, but he was administered a paternity test when Gwen wanted to get the baby back from Rosanna, who adopted the baby, but went into a coma after a car crash, and the paternity test came back negative, but it was only because Gwen's baby had been switched at birth with Jennifer's baby, and their baby <laughs> had died in the hospital. So Tom and Margot punished Casey for his lies by not letting him go to college out of state, and he had to go to Oakdale Latin instead, mm-hmm. which worked out okay because Lisa <laughs> opened a nightclub for teens called Crash, and Casey got a job as a DJ. And that's three hours of research I could have put to better use. Oh my God, goddess bless soap operas. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you should just watch As the World Turns when it was on with me. It was the best. Yeah, there you go. Uh, he was also in the movie Jack Frost. He played Chris Frost. Michael Keaton played Jack Frost, who was killed in a car accident and returned as a snowman to make everything right with his son. <laughs> but he's got to do it before he melts. <laughs> Global warming ruins everything. Am I right? <laughs> Even family bonds. Yeah. Never make friends with a snowman. That's what I always say. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Keaton. I'm snowman. Uh. <laughs> so who's playing Mommy Dearest Connie Parrish? I heard she changed her story. Because you paid her. I'm doing everything I can to protect my son. Like you do. What what you have done. Oh, that's Michelle Gomez. Mm-hmm. Yes. Scottish actress Michelle Gomez or Michelle May Romney Marsham Antonia Gomez. Wow. Ooh. You might remember her as the ghostly secret agent behind the murder plot in The Flight, Flight Attendant. Attendant. Miranda. Yeah. yeah, and she was extra sexy there. She was. She was also yeah. Madame Rouge in the superhero show Doom Patrol, but she is most famous perhaps as Missy, the arch nemesis to the 12th Doctor in Doctor Who. Yeah. Right, Jay? I guess the master, the, Rebecca, you watched... No. You didn't watch no. Doctor Who? No. Everyone thinks I did because I watch all the Doctor Who adjacent stuff, but I have never seen Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> like, I watch Buffy and I watch Battlestar Galactica, so people make assumptions, you know? Oh, I'm sorry I made that assumption. <laughs> I hear that. Melody, I, hear I assume that. No. that you have no idea who Doctor Who actually is. I know who Doctor Who is. What? Of course I do. Oh, yeah. you do? do you, are you familiar yeah, with... my husband owns a comic shop. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that was yeah, that was nerdy. a weird assumption. That was a weird assumption. Yeah, yeah, I it take was. It back. Really was. I mean, it's a very Why? big pop culture iconic character, Kevin. Why would you assume anyone? Yeah, would no, know but that see, was? and if you were Rebecca, you would be like, "What's a Dalek?" And she would be like, "I don't know her." Yeah, but <laughs> Daleks are those those robots, those great robots that want to take over every living organism's planets and stuff. Mm. Uh, she's actually a big British TV star. She became famous on the shows The Book Group. And the medical comedy, The Green Room, Hmm. it was set in a hospital, and they filmed it in an actual active hospital. Love that. Thanks, Obama. Just like W1A was filmed at the BBC. Yeah, but it's a oh that's gosh. a bunch of journalists walking around. They have like doctors and like actual patients with IVs and shit. Don't they need like the beds for sick people? No, like we- just TV actors. <laughs> just TV it's actors. NHS over there. Like you really gotta you gotta get people in. They probably went. Okay, Grandma, do you mind if we just walk in? Just, <laughs> right. They don't pay for extras. They just exactly. do it. Yeah. Exactly. What do you expect with free health care? Come on. Yeah. Oh, my free goodness. No, they. Oh. So who's playing Martin's attorney, Elaine Samuels? 
I don't know, but she's incredible. We'll be filing a motion to dismiss the rape charges. She is Frances Turner. Uh, she was Dr. Lynn Malvo in two seasons of New Amsterdam. New what? New Amsterdam. New that was the N- That's the NBC <laughs> medical drama, which I don't think was a real hospital all the time, but I mean, who knows? Uh, she was in The Man in the High Castle as Belle Mallory, the head of the Black Communist Rebellion. That's totally who she is. Yes. I knew she looked familiar. Right, right. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Francis actually attended Georgetown Law and was a high-paid corporate attorney in New York. She said it was so draining that she took acting classes to unwind, and that's how she found her passion. Method. Yeah. I love it. They love it on Law & Order when an actual lawyer-turned-actor comes on the show because they bring their own briefcase. (laughs) So speaking of heaving bosoms. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Anytime. Benson acts like she's never seen anything weirder in her life than walking in on him milking from his mom. Yeah. NYPD. What the hell is this? We can ask you the same thing. Well, especially since, like, you can't actually see that happening. It could look like an innocuous snuggle, which I was hoping desperately for the whole episode. No. (laughs) Until we find other things out. (laughs) She can't even get the whole NYPD out of her mouth. Right. When she's stuck. It's like, bitch, you found Chad Lowe in bed with uh, his dead naked mother, giving it to her from behind in season yeah. two. Right. Yeah. I was going to say this is not the first time she's walked in on a parent-child relationship. It's not the first time she's been exposed to a parent-child no. sexual relationship. Remember no. the... You've been sleeping with your own daughter. Uh-huh. No. There have been so many of these incidents. You've been sleeping with your own daughter. No! Yes. There yeah. been, she's seen so much shit. This is nothing. Uh, they were dressed, for God's sakes. It yeah, was they fun. saw their clothes exactly. on. I mean, I mean, she had to like button the top. She's wearing a maternity but... bra, but whatever. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> no, but is it a classic SVU episode if Olivia can't be incredibly self-righteous the whole time? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. They take her and she's like, you're going to need a lawyer. And I'm like, no, you need an OnlyFans account because that shit's fire. (laughs) 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 But like you said, we do get this face off between Liv and Connie outside the courtroom. Mm -hmm. Benson knows that she paid Mona to change her story. Connie seems to have watched more episodes of season 24 than I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely more. Gang case. So you follow the news. I admire you, raising your son alone, climbing the career ladder, being mother and father at the same time. Well, I guess we have that in common, don't we? Yeah, she uh, knows about the recurring storyline with the BX7 gang leader, Oscar Papa, which I always thought they're just saying like the the military alphabet for OP, right? Oscar <laughs> Papa. <laughs> the way that he made threats against Noah and what she did to put him away. So she says... They're pretty much the same. <laughs> Bring it in, fellow mom. But Benson is like me, love. She says, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> and like, did they write this whole episode just for this balcony confrontation? Yes. I feel Probably like they am. must have. Yes. Yeah. Ooh, it's so good. We have an actor on who's approximately the same age as Marissa yeah. Hargitay. Let's have an yeah. actor off. Yeah, Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> and let's do it again at the end. 
Yeah, Benson's like, I didn't raise a rapist. I'm raising a serial killer. That's the one. A hip-hop dancing serial killer. Exactly. (laughs) Well, there's nothing like strong-arming a rape victim into testifying before a grand jury, right? Mm. Uh, Mutsy tells uh, Mona that life isn't pass or fail. And then the next scene, she's dead. So it looks like she failed. (laughs) I mean. Turns out failure is an option. Yeah. (laughs) Chapter 1. Wayfair welcomes you to the neighborhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the neighborhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trinsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. All right, now let's take a look at the second half of this episode. Though the detectives presume the cocaine Martin left the night of Mona's attack might have contained fentanyl, the ME finds a large amount of scar tissue in her lungs. That's not from the cocaine. If I didn't know whose lungs I was looking at, I'd say she was at ground zero during 9-11. She's too young for that. She suffered a fatal pulmonary insult. Couldn't get oxygen into her bloodstream. So she suffocated from the inside out? She says it was caused by industrial strength abrasive. They think Martin's cocaine connection is an employee working at a job site on Long Island, which is where they find a whole bunch of industrial strength abrasive. Now, it might explain why Martin has needed an inhaler. Benson believes the jealous Connie has been trying to kill her infantilized son because I guess... He'll be sick and suck on more titties. He'll need her. It's not completely sure. Yeah, he'll need her. Martin refuses to testify against his mom because she's the uh, only family he has ever had since his dad ran away with the nanny all those years ago. That's when Peter Parrish flies in from the Azores with the homewrecker and his new child. Peter tells Olivia that he left Connie all those years ago because she tried to poison him with industrial strength abrasives in his smoothies. Oh, what a thought. Connie uses the I'm the best kind of mother defense, but now that Martin's dad is home from, you know, going out for cigarettes all those years ago, he's going to testify against his mom. Carisi says Connie will take a plea to manslaughter, Martin will do time for rape, and he's going to go home to motorboat Rollins Gazumbas, because that's how they say it on Staten Island. Uh-huh. There you go. So they think what killed Mona was fentanyl in the cocaine. Here's an idea. Just use fentanyl. <laughs> why um, why use right. this abrasive, uh, you know, what, what is it, Ajax? What? Oh, you mean use the fentanyl to kill her? Yeah. Yes, because I, I think it's like, that would have been a perfect crime, because... Like, Absolutely. Yeah, laced cocaine. Well, I mean, that lady in Utah would would disagree with you there. The one that wrote that children's book about yes. missing her husband. Yes, that's true. You know, Th- that wasn't a perfect crime. But that's true. anyway, no, she basically puts Comet in their cocaine. Yeah. And like, oh, lady, you're supposed to be like top tier business. You can't think of two different murder weapons, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
Except that why didn't Mona need an inhaler? She had worse lungs than Martin, allegedly, right? Uh, yeah, I mean. I think, I have a theory about this. Okay. I think what happened is that she's been putting smaller doses in Martin's for a longer period of time so that, you know, she, she can just make him sick enough to like not want to venture out and away from those titties. And then with when she got so mad at Mona, I think she did an extra strength dose ah, in that one. So Mona got a and lot of poor once. Mona. Mm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so, because Martin has his his lungs x-rayed and they look almost exactly the same as Mona's. So that's what's been making him asthmatic. Well, if she had an inhaler, maybe she would have still been around, but she could have been wheezing a little more. You know, I, I, I definitely mm. agree. So apparently mm. the only person in New York that Rich Martin Parrish could possibly get cocaine from is Harry, his mother's foreman on Long Island. Uh, I love, though, that they end up having this discussion about whether that means because he's in construction, he's in the mafia. Henry Caputo. Caputo. This guy got a record? Mob connections? Well, it's not as stereotypical as it sounds coming from you, Carisi. Let's just say a little of both. Well, it turns out that the world of construction in New York is as shady as we all thought. I guess it's just as shady as we always thought it was. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Revelation. Yeah. Olivia's like, shrug emoji. The answer is apparently yes, he is in the... I, I don't understand why that was even like a topic of conversation. It went nowhere. It lent nothing. He was just fucking Connie. Like, that's what was actually yeah, happening. Yeah, right. yeah. he got bonuses for all that D. Yeah. Right, right. Because when they confront Connie and they say, you know, Henry's been adding the abrasive to Martin's cocaine, she says... I'm horrified. Mm. I thought I knew Henry. He's like a second son to me. Which means I also let him suck on my tits. <laughs> well, well, but then Carisi has one of the best lines in the whole place. He says, oh, I see. So it's a real cocaine and Abel story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cocaine and Abel. Nice work, Carisi. Ah, damn it, Carisi. <laughs> he went to night school, too. He as did. We know. Yeah. It was a good, good yeah. night school. It was Fordham. Okay, so the motive for slowly killing her suckle buddy is that if he's sick, he won't leave? Yes. And that if he's yeah. dead, she knows where he is? Yes. It was tenuous at best for me, but I'm fine with it. It made, it made sense to live because that's the way her mind works. Yeah. That's exactly right. As we So on Heaving Bosoms, whenever there's something in the plot that's like, eh, we always say, whimsy, whimsy, whimsy. Right. We're just, just <laughs> right. going to go with it. Right. <laughs> Keep in mind, too, that Liv also called a 32-year-old rapist young man. <laughs> yeah. Well, compared to her. Yeah. Oh, oh, don't at me, America. Don't ouch. at me. It's math. She looks good, though. It's fine. Of course she looks good. I mean, all women of a certain age look good, but, you know. Yeah. She has a lot of money, so she looks extra good. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I guess all that mother's milk kind of, you know, is rejuvenating or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Okay, wait. Yeah. This is also when Martin says that he can't go against his mother because then he'll be an Orphan. <laughs> An orphan, yes. Which? That's exactly the moment when Martin, uh, his long-lost father, Peter, flies in. He's the one who ran off with the nanny all those years ago. But I am kind of like scoping everybody's age. And I'm like, how old was Martin actually? And how old was that nanny? Right. Because they look about the same age today. Right. These are all my questions. Yeah. Because this man claims that he was 12 when all of this happened, right? Yeah. And so, first of all, they would have had to waited, what, 20 years <laughs> right. in order to have their first kid, which, like, you know, make your choices or whatever. It just seems a little weird, especially given her age. Maybe that's why. 
maybe she was so young. Yeah. They did have to wait those 20 years for her like hips to fill out or something. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> but don't you think Martin would have also been into the the nanny? I mean, both father and son like those boobies, right? <laughs> for sure. Yeah. This man looks Olivia Benson straight in the face. Yeah, I couldn't stay. But you left Martin with her. I thought I was doing the right thing at the time. And I'd asked him to move to the Azores with us. And he said no. But you didn't call child services? I didn't want him to end up in foster care. A dysfunctional mother is better than no mother. He just fucks off. Yep. And yep. doesn't take that son with him. And like the, Olivia and Carisi, capital C, cannot with this man. Yeah, right. So he walked away from the billion dollar family business when his wife tried to poison his smoothies with Comet, mm-hmm. I guess. And then he saw his wife commit incest. Mm-hmm. And then he said, uh, I got to get the fuck out of here. Smell you later. Yes. Yeah. And then when he returns to New York 20 years later with his young wife, when his 32-year-old son is responsible for the brutal rape of a woman who is now uh-huh. also dead, mm-hmm. he says, here, hold your little sister. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, when is she going to develop buds? You know? <laughs> oh, no. Not so the that, most responsible guy in the world. No, but the, Peter. They do ask Peter about why he didn't report. And he said he didn't want Martin to wind up in some crummy foster care. We're with you. Why would he end up in foster care, Dad? Are you his father or are you not? Like, what the fuck? He could have grown up in the Azores, Peter. Yeah, this man This man is, uh, honestly, he's also, I think, been infantilized. And uh, he just can't, yeah. can't put two and two together. Yeah. Right, so, well, I asked if he wanted to come and he said no. Yeah. Said, Why don't you ask again when mom's in jail? He's 12. Right? He, he ha, ha. At a certain point, they don't get a choice. No. Yeah. And that is when they're nursing off their mother. They yeah, don't even a get a choice time. of what they're going to have for dinner, Peter. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's like, move to the Azores. I'll find you a wet nurse. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, honestly. Yeah, he says, he says, having any mother is better than having no mother. I'm like, <laughs> is it? What, what is your wife? No, what, come on. Exactly. Oh. Uh, Makes me like nonverbal. It's crazy. Well, I'll tell you what my big takeaway is. What's that? No matter mm. what the medical studies say, go ahead and bottle feed. It doesn't matter. <laughs> there you go. It make no difference. Chapter one, Wayfair welcomes you to the neighborhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the neighborhood," she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. 
All right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Rip from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Rip from the Headlines. A few plot points in this episode are inspired by the controversy around actor Army Hammer. The movie star was the great-grandson of the powerful oil tycoon and philanthropist Armand Hammer, the head of Occidental Petroleum. After his family moved to Los Angeles, Hammer dropped out of high school to pursue a career in acting. After several bit parts on the telly, Hammer's breakout role was playing both of the Winklevoss twins in The Social Network. He landed lead roles in The Lone Ranger and The Man from Uncle, before turning his focus to small independent films. In January 2021, an anonymous woman posted on Instagram she'd had a four-year-long affair with Hammer. She said Hammer sent text messages talking about his sex fantasies about rape, drinking blood and cannibalism. Two women came forward saying the actor forced them into rough sex, which included biting, bondage and branding. A 2022 documentary called House of Hammer listed new allegations against the star, including claims the powerful Hammer family tried to silence the women. But its authenticity was questioned when it was discovered photos of the victim's bite marks were taken from Pinterest and text messages about BDSM had been redacted to conceal the women had given their consent. In an interview this February, Hammer admitted to being emotionally abusive but denied the sex was ever non-consensual. After two years of investigating the claims, the LA District Attorney announced in May it wouldn't file charges against Army Hammer. Now to clarify the uh, connection with uh, this episode is uh, the biting yeah. and the alleged payoffs mm-hmm. and not the breastfeeding. Uh, <laughs> we don't have evidence of that, but no. it would track, I think. As far as we know, too, yeah. Army Hammer did not fuck his mom in any way. At this point? Yeah. We don't know that. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, so what do we make of the victim's accusation? I mean, we believe women, but what do we make of the fact that their accusations were used with a lot of manipulated evidence. Is it blackmail? Is it maybe a little bit of both, a little assault, but also some embellishment on top of it? Maybe you've got some women who are victims and some who are trying to take advantage. I mean, I don't know what to make of this. I can give you my opinion. Well, that's what I'm asking for. Okay, this is a very, this is a much more complicated story than other Me Too stories. It is. I read the Mm -hmm. airmail Army Hammer interview and I've read a lot of the analysis of the investigation and the way the story blew up when the accusations mm-hmm. first came out. And I'm not saying that Army Hammer is a great guy. Mm-hmm. Army Hammer himself says, I am not a great guy. Sure. And he cops to a lot of the things that he's accused of to some degree. Mm-hmm. I'm not, mm-hmm. it's not less about fake accusations than it is about the way news can change, can manipulate and change a story and the way that, that one sort of manipulated piece of evidence and dropped in can take credibility away from otherwise yeah. credible accusations because some women do have things to say about him that are not good, that he does not dispute. Um, right. So there, it's a very, it's kind of a much more complicated story than the on the face Army Hammer's a cannibal thing. Because Army Hammer is not a fucking cannibal. He's not. Melly, what what is your take on this controversy? Okay, so mine is less of a legal take and more of a like from the perspective of S and M um, and BDSM in general. Sure. So I have a hard time with this because a he's not a cannibal. If anybody likes Twilight, you can't say that like his kink is weird because what is vampirism 
other than eating the blood of another person. Like Mm -hmm. fantasies are fantasies, fetishes are fetishes. And as long as everybody is well-informed and consents, not a big deal. But what I have an issue with is that, how do I say this without giving sources away? (laughs) Army Hammer tried to do legit BDSM according to some people that I know. And then the community... Yeah, it's actually, yeah. He, he talks about this. Yeah, this is something he yeah. does. No, yeah. But okay, Melody, yeah. keep spilling. Yeah. So no, so he he went to BDSM parties in LA, tried to ingratiate himself in the community. Mm-hmm. And even though he's rich AF and um, an upcom- up and coming actor at that point, the entire community was like, you're a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. You don't do this right. And you're basically not welcome. Right. Not in so many words, right. but that's essentially what happened. Right. Right. And so... Because of that, then his strategy was to go after partners who have no idea what the BDSM lifestyle is about. They have no idea what the rules are. They have no idea. No safe words, right? right? They don't they They, don't know. what. Yeah, that's right. They don't know safe words. They don't know that that the dom should actually like the fantasy should always be the subs and the dom should always be catering to the sub. Right. Right. Not the other way around. Right. Because the power dynamic is fucked in that way. Or if you if you do that. So I don't know. He's not a cannibal. Um, and I think our laws haven't caught up with the idea that like fraud can make it so that consent is not possible. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Correct. Because that's that's what he created. He Correct. created an environment where he told them that this is the way things work. And so you have to consent under these circumstances and then they ended up doing that, I guess. Right. That's not consent. He created That's power. Di- it's the power dynamic thing, which yeah. was which was the evil thing. He created a he created a power dynamic, which put women in a terrible situation. And he did. And he did it on them. purpose. But the story became he's a cannibal. Yeah. And fakery so was used to create that story. And that's yeah. why it's a complicated story because yeah. there is evil there, but it's not the evil that everybody fucking thinks. It yeah, is. And, and that's that, bad. And and if they got a little over enthusiastic about trying to prove uh, actual assault by mm-hmm. pointing to actually, you know, using photos they found on the Internet, then that could go a long way towards explaining why after two years of investigation, the district attorney thought there was no way they could win a case. And didn't yeah. prove it, which could also be the same thing that they thought this was all bullshit. In any event, uh, it, like you said, it's, it, it is very complicated. In 2021, Hammer was reportedly working as a concierge at the Moritz Timeshare Resort on Grand Cayman. And there was a flyer uh, with his photo and a phone number to call so he could arrange excursions to Stingray City, the Turtle Farm, and Swimming with Dolphins. And Rebecca and I, we actually stayed at this very resort yep. in 2017. Yep. Uh, and Army Hammer was not, not there. there. Not there. Uh, <laughs> Can't confirm. Yeah. So there was a place where the sharks would follow the boats back into to land. Fishing and, boats, yeah. And they, yeah, the fishing boats. And they would swim right up to the dock on the beach where we would snorkel out and look at them. And you could swim with them. That is so cool. I swam away from it. It sounded really cool until you saw a real shark. Yeah. And you're like, fuck this noise. 
Yeah. Turn right around. It was scary. But yeah, they, your it, lizard brain kicked in. And yeah. You were like, survive! They, <laughs> they, were, they were allegedly too full to attack you. That was the story. Oh, they're too oh, full. Oh, sure. Walking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have a legitimate like fear of sharks from when I was young and I grew up in Hawaii. And one of my one of my bucket list things is I want to swim with sharks at some point just to like, you know, get, you know, cool my jets a little bit. I don't know. Just put you in your place. <laughs> And I, and I could see why Army Hammer would be attracted. Again, that's right. that yeah, particular yeah, exactly, yeah, right. Just, uh, did you guys know the show Chris Lee Knows Best? Yes. Right, okay. No. Oh, my God, those people. Yeah, Todd and Julie are in jail right now for fraud and tax evasion, but their daughter was on this reality show. Savannah says that she went on a date with Army Hammer and that they really hit it off. Oh, my God. Uh, she says okay. that they went out for a bite. Sure. <laughs> They did not. Oh, come on, man. She did not say oh. that. They went, they went to dinner. That's going to do it for us. Oh, my God. We I wanna, picked that up too late. Oh, <laughs> we want to thank our guest, Melody Carlisle. Melody, where can our listeners follow you online? You can find me on Instagram at Heaving Bosoms. We are on TikTok at Heaving underscore Bosoms. And anywhere you find your podcasts. And Rebecca Lavoie, how can our listeners follow you? You can find me everywhere at Reb Lavoie. <laughs> and you can track my heaving bosoms on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn, or you also can tweet to us at Law and Order Pod. Follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast, or like and subscribe on YouTube and TikTok. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act fair use exemption for criticism and commentary. Go to lawandorderpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Other Stories was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Media. Chapter 1. Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waberhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home.